Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors. Control Up, end-to-end digital experience management for the work from anywhere era. Control Up, happy users, happy IT. And also brought to you by Liquidware, the innovator in adaptive workspace management solutions. And of course, also brought to you by Policy Pack Software, now part of Netrix where you use Group Policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. Before I get into the stories this week, I'd just like to apologize because usually I put all the reference links and links to the various places you can go for each episode on 5bytespodcast.com. Uh, and I did it last week, but for some reason, it didn't publish properly to the site. So I'm going to fix that after I'm done recording this episode. And hopefully, I hope I didn't hit a limit on the extension that I'm using. But hopefully, it's correct this week for both this week's episode and last week's too. Uh, but with that out of the way, let's just get into the news. Microsoft have warned that starting with last week's optional preview update, that was made available last Thursday, temporary mitigations provided last year to address Windows Server printing issues on non-compliant devices has been removed, potentially breaking printing. BBcomputer.com reports the known issue impacts printers, scanners, and multifunction devices that are non-compliant with CVE-2021-33764 hardening changes and using smart card authentication. Of course, this is the preview right now, so it's probably not going to be affecting you if you don't deploy preview patches or optional preview patches. But this will be released as part of the Patch Tuesday security updates that will be released on August 9th. If you'd like to find non-compliant devices in your environment that will fail authentication after installing the update, admins should check logs on their Active Directory domain controllers for audit events identifying RFC-4456 incompatible printers added after deploying February 2022's Windows Server updates. So first check to make sure your servers are updated and patched with that February patch, and then you can find it within the logs. It has been announced that Microsoft plans to start auto-disabling VBA macros in Office apps from July 27th, 2022. If you listen to the podcast regularly, you will recall this change was announced some time ago, but Microsoft backpedaled. And then there was this whole will they, won't they for a few weeks. But happily, now it looks like this will actually be going ahead. Petri.com reports security experts have applauded the move and stated it's an essential step in preventing malware from infecting home and enterprise networks. However, this new policy will prevent users from enabling macros with a simple click, and the Office apps will show a new security banner with a Learn More button linked to a support page. 
Users will be able to turn on Office Macros by manually selecting an unblock option in the properties of each file. And these additional steps will require some user training at first, they suggest. So I guess it's kind of like sometimes when you download certain file types, you may have to right click, go to the properties on the file and unblock. Well, it sounds like this similar security feature is coming to these macros. It has been announced that Amazon planned to acquire one medical for $18 per share for the entire company, working out to an enterprise value of about $3.9 billion. One Medical is a membership-based primary care practice with nearly 200 locations across the country of the United States that also offers virtual services. The company had roughly 767,000 member patients as of May. Amir Dan Rubin, who is One Medical CEO, said in a statement, quote, There is an immense opportunity to make the healthcare experience more accessible, affordable, and even enjoyable for patients providers and payers, end quote. The deal which regulators and one medical shareholder still need to approve marks Amazon's biggest healthcare acquisition yet, but Amazon's ambitions in healthcare go back several years. And it's something I actually had talked about on a previous episode of the podcast, their ventures into pharmaceuticals. Whether or not this is going to be a good thing in the long term, hard to tell. The U.S. healthcare system, in my opinion, is pretty messed up. But I found this interesting from an enterprise perspective that the same type of subscription model that's pretty much dominating how we consume vendors tech products is now being brought to healthcare within the United States, it seems. It's also interesting because Amazon makes a lot of their revenue from AWS, which also has an enterprise tie-in. TechCrunch.com has reported this week that Google is again delaying their plans to phase out Chrome's use of third-party cookies. They are now aiming to do this in the second half of 2024. And they had said previously that it would be done in 2022. Then they announced it's changing to the second half of 2023. And now, like I said, it's going to be the second half of 2024. Honestly, I don't think it's all that surprising since this is something that is very disruptive to the core business of Google and also to these other companies too. Maybe they haven't quite figured out uh, what their happy alternative is yet. Krebs on Security reported a new user on the Russian cybercrime forum Exploit just posted a video claiming to show a zero-day remote code execution exploit in Google's latest Chrome browser running on Windows 10. The poster was asking for $2 million and the seller marked this exploit as sold. So expect this story to get some updates pretty quickly because this is probably going to be used in the wild pretty soon. FS Logics version 2201 Hotfix 2 has been released. This includes fixes to multi-session VHD mounting, cloud cache meta tracking files, and registry cleanup operations. So if you've been noticing any system crashes, previous versions of FS Logics, you want to take this hotfix. Likewise, if you've had an issue where a logon would succeed even when the disk failed to attach, most common in multi-session environments, this is going to be a fix too. And also they've resolved an issue during profile cleanup where user registry hives would be removed regardless of FS Logics local group exclusion. So a few worthwhile fixes in this one. 
Microsoft have published kits, which they say make it easier for you to plan for, test, and validate Windows 11 in your environment, and prepare your end users and management teams for a familiar but fresh user experience. The kits include an onboarding kit, which consists of three parts, helping you to plan by accessing documents and schedules to help create timetables for your Windows 11 upgrades uh, to deploy. They have a demo and also some Microsoft case studies and a guide to changing browsers from IE to Microsoft Edge and also to support. So employees will probably have questions following the Windows 11 upgrade. So part of this kit provides a quick reference guide on things like OneDrive for Business, Edge, Universal Print and keyboard shortcuts. So a lot of the migration projects that I've worked on, we would leave a one page reference document at people's desks. So when they got in that morning, say they have the new Windows 10 desktop, there'd just be some pointers and tips to help get them ramped up quickly. They also have some free labs and other tools available too. And I'll share a link to that with this episode, which is episode 240. And you'll find that at fivebytespodcast.com and our reference links for this episode. On the business side of things, Microsoft had their earnings call this week. It was kind of mixed. It reads like Xbox is performing pretty poorly, down pretty significantly. Uh, Windows OEM is also down, which I guess mostly plays to retail consumers rather than enterprise, but maybe a little bit on the enterprise too. So, you know, down on the retail side with the Xbox division stuff and OEM. Uh, Interestingly, advertising revenue from LinkedIn is also down which may be an indication of the general economic outlook as LinkedIn, for as much as I dislike it personally as a platform for social media, uh, it is an excellent marketing tool for the enterprise. So if enterprises aren't advertising or spending as much on advertising on LinkedIn, that might indicate uh, a much larger problem just generally. Uh, But for those of us in end user computing, of particular interest is the fact that they've stated Azure Virtual Desktop monthly active usage increased nearly 60% year over year. It was also claimed they have seen strong adoption of Windows 365 from organizations in every industry from Hamburg Commercial Bank and Kindrel to Lego Group and Schroders as they reportedly use cloud PCs to rapidly onboard new and temporary employees and speed up M&A integration while reducing IT costs. So what kind of gets me about these earnings calls, not just from Microsoft, but it's how vague some of the metrics are, right? So a 60% year over year increase. It's very hard to gauge how many people and enterprises are actually using Azure Virtual Desktop. Because I think on the last time I heard AVD or WVD mentioned on an earnings call was in 2020. And I believe they'd said that the number of users and their number of desktops had trebled. And that was kind of off the back of the beginning of the pandemic. But troubled from what, right? Because six customers to 18 is is troubling, but it's still a relatively low number. And a 60% year over year, it sure, it's great because it indicates significant growth. Uh, but growth from what to what would be my big question. I'd be really interested to hear. But again, it's not unique to Microsoft. And it's not something they're even obligated, I think, to report to investors on the earnings call just showing growth i'd say is probably enough 
Either way, the fact that Azure Virtual Desktop was singled out as one of the strong points for the earnings call is pretty cool for end-user computing. And sticking with the business side of things, Business Insider had a piece on the topic of full-time remote workers working two full-time jobs at the same time. Now this reads like a propaganda piece. I mean, sometimes when I'm reading things in like Forbes and Business Insider and um, some of these kind of more high-level business-related sites or publications, I, I become quite skeptical because it almost sounds like they're pushing a bit of a narrative uh, that's favorable to maybe large employers or large enterprises. And this one's like taking the approach of these bosses found out that their employees had been working two jobs and they confronted them about it, but they were cool about it. It was just like, hey, are you working two jobs? And the person like admitted to it and then quit the other job and everything was fine after that. It's almost like putting this out there that hey, you know, cost of living is crazy, inflation is crazy. Maybe people will be tempted to work two jobs while working remotely in order to deal with inflation. So we're putting that out into the world that this is something that might possibly happen because I don't think it's happening very widespread, but they're putting it out there. Hey, if this does happen, you know, just know it's not good. And these people tried it and they failed. So <laughs> I don't know. Um, you shouldn't have to work two jobs. I think one of the stories said, oh, that person ended up getting a raise in the current job after being found out and quitting the other job. Um, they got a raise like a few months later, another kind of puff piece BS, but I don't know. I, I think it's interesting just a read on maybe how business leaders are feeling about it, that they'd put this kind of propaganda out there is also interesting. So I thought you'd find it interesting too. And finally, not really news, but a friend of mine will be available for work from mid-August. Uh, he is US-based and is an excellent application packager who also has plenty of experience with SECM or MECM as it's now called. So if you have an opportunity and you'd like to speak to him, let me know. Uh, he's based in Georgia, so East Coast, but I haven't really asked him. I'm sure he's probably pretty flexible in terms of time zone that he'd work. So. If you have a need for someone with that skill set, let me know and I'll put you in contact. That's it for this week's news. Now this episode's scripts, tricks, and tips. This week, Adam Smith shared a quick demo of how to take a table on a web page and import it into Excel. So, you know, if there's maybe an interesting table on a Wikipedia page, for example. You can actually highlight that and import that data straight from the web page. I didn't know that, pretty cool. Don Wirtz shared a blog post that she created on capturing all installed software on a computer. The example is using a script with configuration manager and also recast reporting tool, which I know recast tools are very, very popular in MECM. So this might be of interest to you if you're using those. My very first blog post for Numescent has now been published. And it's the first of a series of blog posts. I believe there's five parts. I believe that's what we ended up with. And it's very, very interesting stuff. I think it should resonate with a lot of people. I was given like a lot of freedom to just kind of write my own words. And uh, I go through actual experiences I had while working in IT and end user computing over the last 15 plus years. Some pretty bad times of application updates that failed and 
a colleague got written up for it. Another one where my colleague got removed from our project because they did something they were asked to do by a customer, but the customer was wrong and put the wrong time down. It was kind of cathartic writing these and <laughs> reliving these experiences. Um, so I'll be sharing those blog posts over the coming week and the first post is up right now. In the first post, it's kind of a prelude. The most interesting part of it, I think, is actually the video demo. And it touches on the heart of the ability to roll back containers. So if you're containerizing your applications and updating the application containers rather than updating locally installed applications, there's a lot of benefits and it makes application updates much more low risk. But anyway, enough promoting my own stuff. Andreas Hammerskold shared Bootgen 1.0, which is an iPixie Anywhere. So he says he generates USB keys for booting to iPixie without the need for a full-on Pixie infrastructure. He can also add or sync branch cache caches with the keys and back. And this allows you to use any USB backed dock to build any laptop or tablet. So I guess Pixie in the cloud kind of. So you get your USB uh, kind of like a proxy Pixie boot. It's kind of cool. Unfortunately, it looks like there's no community version. I haven't tried the product myself. I just thought it was really, really interesting, so I thought I'd share it. My buddy, the amazing Jeremy Moskowitz, went on a bit of a flurry of sharing some really awesome blog posts and resources recently. Uh, first up, Martin Bankston's blog on using group policy analytics to migrate Microsoft 365 app security baseline to the cloud. And in this blog post, he gives an insight on using group policy analytics, as well as how to use ADMX ingestion and PowerShell to transition management to the security baseline into the cloud. So I think this is something that's been a particular frustration for people trying to move to the modern settings is difficulty in actually taking some of their legacy policies um, to the cloud. So very interesting and timely blog post. Also shared by Jeremy, Tristan Tyson had a post on managing the local administrators group on Azure AD joint devices with Endpoint Manager. The post goes through multiple different methods, so not just one, and it's pretty interesting to see the various ways for achieving this. Final one that was shared from Jeremy, I told you it went on a bit of a flurry. Uh, Felix Appley went through many different Active Directory privilege escalation examples and basically weak points around it and how you can better protect yourself against these types of blind spots. I kind of like these, you know, list of 10 things that is pretty concise with very decisive pointers on how you can protect yourself against this exact scenario. And that's exactly what this blog post is. And finally, Mathematica Ken on Twitter, cool name, tweeted that today he learned if you manually install Windows on a device with Intel RST RAID enabled, Intune's remote wipe or fresh start will fail until the RST driver is also manually injected into the recovery environment. I did not know that. I've worked environments with that Intel RAID feature, so I'm surprised it hasn't come up before. I don't doubt it. I haven't really been the one pushing the buttons in Intune for a while because my last day-to-day -day IT job, I was more on the VDI and virtualization side of things. So yeah, very interesting one. If you work with Endpoint Manager, that's probably one you want to know. 
So like I said, I share everything I talk about on each episode of the podcast over at fivebytespodcast.com and you'll find that under reference links for this episode, which is episode 240. And I will update it after recording this episode so it has last week's links too. Sorry about that again. And as always, thank you all so much for listening.